God bless and greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. What we're going to look at today is a body hast thou prepared me. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, we read, Wherefore, when he, Jesus, cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In order to understand how Christ atones for sin, it will help to study both the nature and the glory of Christ's person. The efficacy of Christ's sin offering, deriding its strength from the holiness of His body, conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the glorious position God has given Jesus as the Son of the Highest. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we read, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. It is fitting that Jesus' name describes the process of salvation. Jehovah shall save. The name Jesus in Greek answers to Joshua, or rather Yeshua in Hebrew, which signifies Jehovah shall save. It cannot be man who saves himself, but only God, who has the ability to save such fallen creatures as ourselves. Jehovah shall save, thus encapsulates the entire ministry of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we read, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The Barnes commentary on this, he shall save. This expresses the same as the name. And on this account, the name was given to him. He saves people by dying to redeem them, by giving the Holy Spirit to renew them, by His power in enabling them to overcome their spiritual enemies, in defending them from danger, in guiding them in the path of duty, in sustaining them in trials and in death. And He will raise them up at the last day and exalt them to a world of purity and love." End quote. Jesus is to the world God's saving all who desire freedom from their sin. It was the Lord God who initiated man's salvation, and all salvation is truly His work. And as Jonah cried and praised God that salvation is of the Lord, so shall every saved man do the same. Jesus, therefore, will be to the repentant man what God was to Jonah, the sole source of His salvation. So important is this name of Jesus that God has declared that no man can be saved by any other name. 
which has ever been said, spoken, or written in the world. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we read, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name given, and especially so any name given from God, whereby the salvation of God can be granted. So that if a man truly desires salvation and to be saved by God, then it is foolish to look anywhere else other than to the one whom God has determined that his salvation should come through. It is Jesus who banishes sin, preserves the soul, and brings both life and hope of God into the heart. There is no salvation in any other name simply because God has ordained that there are none holy enough but his Son who can save those made unholy by sin. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 32, we're back in that record. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. The child that Mary begat was not usual in any respect. As Gabriel said that from Jesus' birth, he shall be great and would carry the title of the son of the highest. It was not then simply another human infant that Mary brought forth into the world, but rather the son of the highest. Where both tradition and religion will often minimize Christ's glory by focusing on his humble beginnings, the truth is that regardless of the earthly conditions Jesus was born into, the Son of God was born exalted and the Son of the Highest. Hence, Jesus should not be viewed as lower because of some small human lack of Mary and Joseph, but rather as the richest of all men ever to be born. The Magi also knew Christ's exalted position as seen by the fact that they searched Jesus out and brought gifts to him. Knowing that, Jesus was from birth of the royal line of God. He was God's son, and this gave him right to one day rule the world. Gabriel stated that the throne of David was Christ's, and that according to prophecy, Jesus will reign the nation of Israel. In Psalm 132.11, we read, The Lord has sworn in truth unto David. He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set up thy throne. Not only this, but this son born unto Mary, because he is the son of the highest, shall in appropriate time possess the entire world as his inheritance. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 27, we read, For he, God, hath put all things under his, Jesus' feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. So also Psalm 2.8, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. By title and by right, Jesus has been given rights over all of God's creation. Heaven and earth are God's possession. And as such, 
God's only begotten Son has heavenly right to exercise complete authority over both. And as God's Son, Jesus has also inherited the right to judge all men. Verse 33 of Luke chapter 1. And he shall reign, and Jesus shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, Christ's kingdom, there shall be no end. In regards to Christ's reign, it is stated that of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Teaching us that though human kingdoms, all worldly kingdoms, shall diminish and fade away, Christ's kingdom will not. For what God does, he does forever. And this is distinctly true in regards to his son's promised inheritance to reign over all mankind. Philippians 2.10 That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Every knee will be required to bow and every knee will need to bend at the name of Jesus. When Christ returns to the earth to establish God's kingdom, the entire world will be required to be in subjection and obedience to him. God's sovereignty will therefore be practically realized when God's Son reigns the world. Barnes on Luke 1.33, of his kingdom, of Christ's kingdom, there shall be no end. He shall reign among his people on earth until the end of time and be their king forever in heaven. His is the only kingdom that shall never have an end. He, the only king that shall never lay aside his diadem and robes and that shall never die. He, the only king that can defend us from all our enemies, sustain us in death and reward us in eternity. Oh, how important then to have an interest in his kingdom and how unimportant compared with his favor is the favor of all earthly monarchs, end quote. Verse 34 of Luke now, chapter one still. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. How common it is, not just with Mary, but with all people, that when God's word is spoken, whether it is for the good of man or for evil that will come, instead of simply believing the Lord's revelation, men wonder how it can come to pass. And though Mary, by God's grace, was given an explanation, there is no guarantee that we shall receive the same. But in truth, it makes little difference how the Lord fulfills his word, but only that he does. In giving Mary her answer as to how she should bring forth a child without knowing a man, the angel revealed that the Holy Ghost would come upon her and through its power she would conceive. And though the world around Jesus was common, he was, through spiritual conception, the holy creation of God. Christ's nature 
because God is spirit is spiritual. And just as the spiritual realm is above the natural realm in rank, authority, and power, so Jesus by spiritual birth holds title and rank above all others born only of the flesh. As the Son of God, He also has been given supernatural power by God to beget more sons of God through Himself. And in John chapter 1, verse 12, we read, But as many as received Him or received Christ, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. It is Jesus who gives a man the power to become a son of God. This is why if men lack spiritual sonship in God's heavenly kingdom, it is only because Jesus has not exercised the power to make them sons. It is also only those who sincerely possess faith in Christ's divinity who will be accounted as sons of God themselves. True belief in Jesus also if it is sincere and genuine, will prompt a man to make Jesus Christ Lord of his life. For none can truly say they believe upon the Son of God if they hesitate in making Christ their Lord. Since this pause and hesitancy concerning Christ's Lordship has its roots not in faith but in unbelief. By Jesus also, ultimately, sending the Holy Spirit to men, they would be renewed and regenerated in the image of both God and God's Son. And in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, we read, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Through regeneration, those born dead in sin are made alive unto God. And through the gift of the Holy Spirit, men are born into the spiritual world of God. The Holy Spirit is also shed abundantly to the church through Jesus Christ, its Savior. Now that we have seen Christ's position that God has given him, Next is studying the body made by God to save the world. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, we read, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, in reference to Christ, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In truth, there could be no offering presented by man that could atone for his own sin. Hence for God to be satisfied with a sufficient sacrifice for sin, then God must provide this sacrifice himself. This is why Jesus was prepared a body by God so that Christ's holiness could, after Christ's total obedience to God's will, atone for man's unholiness. We should never wonder if Jesus' offering for sin is sufficient to cleanse us from it simply because Jesus is God's offering for sin. And because Jesus is God's offering, none should doubt if Jesus dying for sin can save them from it. For the Lord himself made Jesus an offering for sin 
then there should remain no doubt if men believe upon him that Jesus can completely and forever take away their sin. To conclude otherwise is to doubt God himself. And since the only offering that God could find acceptable to himself is one that he himself did fashion, we can be sure if men come to God through God's Son, Jesus Christ, then they will be forgiven. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, you read, and in Matthew 20, uh, excuse me, and in Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, we read, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. It is for the reason of redemption and remission of sins that Jesus came into the world. Jesus' body and Christ's death on the cross can blot out sin because Christ's body as an offering was prepared by God for this specific purpose. The Jameson Fawcett Brown Bible on this verse, a body hast thou prepared me, thou didst fit for me a body. In thy counsels thou didst determine to make for me a body, to be given up to death as a sacrificial victim, end quote. It is the value that something is that determines what it can purchase. In regards to sin, it would take the worth, value, and cost of the holiness of the Son of God to adequately purchase the sinner's soul. It would take an offering purposed and miraculously made by God to redeem those stained in both heart and body by the sin nature passed to them from Adam. Benson on this verse, Wherefore, as if he had said, because the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sins, therefore Christ offered himself as a sacrifice to do it. When he cometh into the world, that is, when the Messiah is described by David as making his entrance into the world, he saith, he is represented by that inspired writer as saying, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, except for a sufficient expiation, a full satisfaction for sin, but thou provided something of another nature for this purpose. Thou hast given me a body miraculously, formed and qualified to be an expiatory sacrifice for sin, end quote. The words, a body hast thou prepared me, reveal the Holy Spirit's involvement in preparing Jesus' body for the perfect sacrifice of sin. It was thus the work of God in Christ being conceived by the Holy Spirit that produced his sinlessness. Benson on this verse, the words, a body Hast thou prepared me, are the translation of the Septuagint. Mine eyes hast thou opened, or bored, an expression which signifies, I have devoted myself to thy perpetual service, and thou hast accepted of me as thy servant, and signified so much by the boring of mine ears, so that though the words of the translation of the Septuagint, here used by the Apostle, are not the same with those signified by the original Hebrew. The sense is the same. For the ears suppose a body to which they belong, 
And the preparing of a body implies the preparing of the ears and the obligation of the person for whom a body was prepared to serve him who prepared it, which the boring of the ear signified, end quote. Not only then did God create a body qualified because of its holiness to atone for sin, but Jesus would hear all that God would command and like a bond slave, remain wholly devoted to his master and therefore completely fulfill the will of God for his life. Hence, in Jesus, we have a body created and formed by God, with Jesus also possessing an inward disposition to obey all that God required of him to make substitution for sin. In Jesus, there would be no resistance to go to the cross, involuntarily giving his life for sin. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we read, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That, and this is the purpose, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The result of this complete obedience to God is that Jesus can make men righteous through himself since also it was by Adam's disobedience that many were made sinners. Now by Christ's obedience can men be made righteous. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 19, we read, For as by one man's disobedience, that would be Adam's, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, that would be Christ, shall many be made righteous. The degree that Jesus would obey God's will to make men righteous is revealed by his willingness to become obedient even unto the death of the cross. Philippians 2.8 And being found in fashion as a man, he, Christ, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Where Adam, by disobedience, made men sinners, Jesus, by full and complete obedience to God, now makes sinners righteous. Teaching us as well that Jesus can save any man from sin. First, because the body that was sacrificed for sin was holy. And secondly, because Jesus' obedience to God is what imparts to men God's righteousness. In truth, the holiness of Jesus' atonement is what cleanses the dirtiness of the sinful man. And because of Christ's holiness, his people shall be made righteous. This is why believers can have confidence in the righteousness that God imparts to them, simply because it has its origin in Christ's own holiness. God's saints are therefore righteous because God's Son was holy and obedient. Hence, through the Son of God's holiness, are men made righteous by God, teaching us that all imputed righteousness for the saint has for its foundation the purity of the Savior. The sinless offering of Christ is what makes his church righteous. And in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, we read, Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, 
seeing as, and this is the reason, he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Christ saving a man is also not simply a one-time event. For those he baptizes with his spirit are those also he continues to make intercession for. As his, people's high priest, Jesus' intercession for God's new sons will continue until their final and full deliverance, when their human body will be ultimately transformed to be like Christ's glorified body. Intercession, therefore, will be made by Christ for his people until by his own power they are transformed into Christ's own image. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and then in verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Barnes on Hebrews 7.25. Wherefore he is able also, as he ever lives or Christ ever lives and ever intercedes, he has power to save. He does not begin the work of salvation and then relinquish it by reason of death, but he lives on as long as it is necessary that anything should be done for the salvation of his people. To the uttermost. This does not mean simply forever, but that he has power to save them so that their salvation shall be complete. He does not abandon the work midway. He does not begin a work which he is unable to finish. He can aid us as long as we need anything done for our salvation. He can save all who will entrust their salvation to his hands. To make intercession for them, he constantly presents the merits of his death as a reason why we should be saved. The precise mode, however, in which he makes intercession in heaven for his people is not revealed. The general meaning is that he undertakes their cause and assists them in overcoming their foes and in their endeavors to live a holy life. He does in heaven whatever is necessary to obtain for us grace and strength, secures the aid which we need against our foes, and is the pledge or security for us that the law shall be honored and the justice and truth of God maintained. Though we are saved, it is reasonable to presume that this is somehow by the presentation of the merits of his great sacrifice, and that that is the ground on which all this grace is obtained. As this is infinite, we need not fear that it will ever be exhausted, end quote. Since Jesus is our Savior, and since Jesus continually makes intercession for the saved, then our loyalty to the Son of God should never cease. When men also are baptized with the Christ Spirit, it is evidence that Jesus will remain with them forever. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, we read, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. For a saved man then, Jesus never leaves him. And in Matthew chapter 16, 
verse 13 we read, When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Jesus called Simon blessed. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, because the Father had revealed to him that Jesus was the Son of God. It is here then that we see the fundamental truth that opens up the door for men to be blessed by God. It is when they come to both know and understand that Jesus, though he came in the flesh, is God's Son. This blessing, this beatitude, is the very first way that God blesses any by revealing to them the actual identity of Christ. If you have yet to be saved, then this is what you should beseech the Lord for. By asking the Father to reveal to your heart He who can save your soul. As there is also no other blessing more important in the whole world to receive than when God reveals to a man or woman the divinity of His Son. Those most truly blessed in this world indeed are those who have been taught by God that Jesus is God's Son. The reason this is important is because not until the Father reveals the true nature of Jesus to a man can true faith in Him begin. For no man can be saved by God until God reveals to him, like Peter, who Jesus really is. Until then, though others who are flesh and blood may themselves speak of Jesus, this alone is not enough for sinners to believe on Christ. Because in the end, it will take God revealing to men the true identity of His Son. For men, than to completely give their lives to Christ. Revelation is therefore always critical before conversion. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, we read, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That sacrifice that can purge the conscious from not only sin, but also religious dead works, is that sacrifice of Christ, where through the eternal spirit, Jesus offered himself to God for sin. See, Old Testament sacrifices possess no spirit. Yet in Christ, the Christian possesses Jesus as an eternal spirit offering himself as a full and final atonement for human sin. The spiritual offering of God's Son, with a body conceived also of the Holy Spirit, 
able to fully atone for all human sin. The Jameson Fawcett Brown Bible on this offered himself. The animals offered had no spirit or will to consent in the act of sacrifice. They were offered according to the law. They had a life neither enduring nor of any intrinsic efficacy. But he, Christ, from eternity, with his divine and everlasting spirit, concurred with the Father's will of redemption by him. His offering began on the altar of the cross and was completed in his entering the holiest place with his blood. The eternity and infinitude of his divine spirit gives eternal redemption and infinite merit to his offering so that not even the infinite justice of God has any exception to take against it. And closing in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, we read, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Again, Christ speaking, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls. Amen.